Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And uh, and we're back. I was going to say back in the studio, but... Yeah, the virtual studio. The virtual studio, yes. I was thinking actually, like, we've, I think we've, we've commented on this before, but we've in the entire history of the show, we've recorded this entirely online and in yeah. separate rooms. Yeah. Um, and we don't even have our cameras on when we're recording. No, we don't. Yeah. And and I was thinking like, I was, I was thinking like, you know, I could turn my camera on. Today could be the day. But honestly, after so long, I don't want to break the formula. I, it, yeah. I feel, you know, it would be lovely to see your face, but I feel like it would, I'm weirdly superstitious about it now. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> It'd be really distracting all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Although I do, I do have a bone to pick with you, John. Um. Uh. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Yes. It's so it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, each and every one of you lovely fellow fellows and and people enjoying us talking, that uh, John has been seeing another comics podcast behind my back. Oh. Oh. Oh no. I was hoping it, I hope this I was hoping this wouldn't come out in a in a in a in a public forum, PJ. But, I, I, uh, I even listened to it, and during the show, he referred to it as a better comics podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, like you know, you'll, you'll say anything in the moment, PJ, to impress uh, impress your current co-hosts. But uh, yeah, so I uh, I jumped ship, but but in a loving way, I, I came crawling back, which is which is what matters. That's all I can ask. Yeah, but that was the um, Sonic the comic for podcasts. Uh, another, what would you call this? Like, a, are we are we a recap podcast? Are we a? a I guess, yeah, yeah, a, a, a recap commentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, like, are we? Are are we are we nostalgia? Is is this nostalgia? We're definitely we're nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as long as we're not in denial about it. Um, but yeah, I think we we've probably. We we must have touched upon Sonic the comic very. We've mentioned some it a few times, yeah. yeah. Because it, it's kind of a real oddity. It's very hard to describe to those who didn't experience it. But it was a wildly influential and creative UK only licensed Sonic the Hedgehog comic. Yeah, which, and if you are of a certain age in the UK. There's a very, very good chance you read it. I think basically if you're a millennial who is now involved in the independent comic scene in any way in the UK, 
you read Sonic the comic as a kid. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. No, it was. It, it was wild because I mean, like, it's probably a, a very different pathway for, um, you know, American fans growing up because. Um, maybe we're generalising, but I feel that comics were a bit more kind of readily available, particularly all the big Marvel DC stuff. Yeah. I mean, in the UK growing up, as a kid, you're probably reading like the Beano and the yep. Dandy, you know, yep. uh, these kind of like really long running uh, kids comics, uh, just uh, not much in the way of continuity, just kind of like ga- gags and um, standalone stories, that sort of thing. Yeah, they were just like joke strip comics, weren't they, for kids, really? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, for me at least, like my 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 first taste of I don't know more serious long form storytelling probably probably came from Sonic the comic. Weirdly enough, yeah, I would probably say the same. I had collected some other comics in the late eighties when I was a child. There was a Mask comic that I got, uh, and the the real Ghostbusters comic, but there weren't many stories that sort of ran over multiple issues of those still. So Sonic the comic would tell a story over a couple of years. Sometimes it would, and it was a fortnightly book. So that was a, the the comic itself had, it would have like four stories in one comic, always a Sonic the Hedgehog and then some other backup strips. And, but the Sonic the Hedgehog one definitely would just run and run and run and was a continuous thing. Uh, and yeah, Mark Miller wrote for it, um, <laughs> and there were a number of other writers and artists from 2000 AD because it was the same publisher as well. So yeah, it yeah, it, it really it was weird when you think about it. It, it. it was astonishingly weird, like because um, I think as a kid, like like most kids my age, um, sorry, I'm PJ's age, obviously obsessed with um, you know video games once you could get your hands on like i, mm. I never owned uh, i never owned a mega drive or any sega console but my two best mates in primary school did and so the joy of kind of going over to their house and playing sonic the hedgehog like for me as a kid that was like the coolest thing in the world and then kind of miraculously discovering that there was a comic book that you could get every two weeks in your local news agent like, and this sort of thing didn't, I feel I'm painting like a very kind of like 1950s view of Britain, but like, <laughs> it was so unusual. Like the little village I grew up in is kind of quaint, kind of rolling green hills and stuff. And then to be hey, able Green to, Hills. Green Hills, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, weird, weird echidnas on every street corner. <laughs> but like, to be able to get that next to the Beano and Dandy in this little kind of yeah. rural shop was just wonderful and weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Sonic the Comic, the podcast, genuinely is one of my favourite podcasts uh, running at the moment. It comes out every other Friday, and I, I genuinely get excited for it. If I, you know, <laughs> the guys who present it, Dave Bulmer and Chris McFeely, they are really good together. If you read Sonic the Comic at all as a kid, or if you're one of our American listeners who has no idea what we're talking about, I still recommend checking it out. I think it's it's a great show, and not even just because John's been on an episode. <laughs> Well, I, I've got to say, PJ, it's um, it was a real honour to be on a uh, a, a a breakout uh, a breakout podcast with uh, wide reaching popularity for once. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, I'm expecting you to turn those numbers that they have into numbers for us now, John. That's uh... the 
I mean, maybe maybe this is like a very tenuous link, but I'm glad you brought it up because we can kind of, I feel we could maybe draw some weird Grant Morrison kind of connection here because I feel given the talent pool that was working on Sonic the Comic at the time, like it, it wouldn't have been a massive stretch to have seen a young Grant Morrison working on Sonic the Comic. It didn't quite happen, but it could have done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's there's the fact that you get that flash story as well that was co-written by Morrison and Miller who did write Sonic the comic where the flash races a little alien guy who looks just like Sonic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like Yeah, that can't be that can't have been a coincidence. No. Um, no. And, and and Miller is slightly younger than Morrison. Is that is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, because I know that when they met Miller was uh, reviewing comics rather than writing them. So I think there was kind of like a slightly junior-senior kind of interaction. Because I think Miller interviewed Morrison, if I remember correctly. That's how they first mm. met. But yeah, it's um, I can only assume that's because Morrison... Oh, gosh. Because Arkham Asylum, the graphic novel, yeah, a serious house song, Serious Earth... That came out around the same time as the Tim Burton Batman movie, didn't I it? I think it was a little before. I want to say Arkham Asylum was like 88. Obviously, Burton's film was 89. I think that's what Morrison says in uh, in their autobiography, is that they um, they uh, made... They got the, I, got Arkham, I got the train down from Glasgow to London to meet with um, DC editorial team that was doing a talent scout. Hmm. Uh, pitches this... Uh, kind of incomprehensible Batman story. Uh, the script goes around the DC uh, offices for a while as being unmakeable, like an impossible script. Uh, it is made, and then I think Morrison said, like, it came out, then the Tim Burton Batman movie came out, and then as a result of which, the graphic novel sold like a million copies or something like that. Yeah. And, and I think Morrison got like, I think he said, like they said like a, a quid, a pound per sale. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but if it sells those numbers, then well, well, here's the thing, and that's I think that's where Morrison became. That's when Morrison suddenly became like, oh, I guess I'm a superstar now, and <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the rest is history. Yeah, to be fair, that that is a really good comic, Arkham Asylum, with the is it Dave McKean? Yes, it is. Yeah. Drew, who does the Sandman covers? But um, my copy is like the mid two thousands re release where they. It's about double the size because they put a load of backup material in it, including like the full script and some commentaries and interviews with Morrison and McKean about it. It's it's a, oh. yeah yeah really really good. Is that the, I wonder if that's the version I've got actually? Because I'm trying to think now because I seem to remember there's there are special features and there's a lot of Morrison kind of commentary in it, mm. and I think they say that they pictured it as being illustrated more like a well for lack of a better word traditional comic book. Yeah. Originally, that was that, as they kind of wrote the script. They didn't imagine it being like this Dave McKean kind of incredible, weird, and wonderful collage. And I think you can even see some of um, God. I, I could be dreaming this, but some of Morrison's like um, layouts and sketches. In yes. The yeah. 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 I think you 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 have got the same edition there. I reckon was I I want to say it was released around two thousand seven, something like that. Maybe yeah. two thousand eight for a twentieth anniversary or something. And that certainly would have been around the time I was aggressively tracking down Morrison's back catalogue, I want to mm. say. 
Yeah, because I think wasn't isn't there something in it like there was there were plans to have Robin in it originally. Yes. Yeah, and they tried a bunch of different approaches to kind of make Robin look serious, for lack of a better word, like having him in an overcoat, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think ultimately it didn't quite work out. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say it now, and this might be a controversial statement for some, but that's my favourite Morrison Batman story. Is it really? Mm. Interesting. I I like a lot of Morrison's later Batman run, but I think once you sort of hit Batman R.I.P. around the same time as Final Crisis, it starts to lose me a bit. I think I think they pick it up a bit again uh, after Bruce Wayne comes back, and you get. Um, like setting up Batman Incorporated mm, and mm. Dick Grayson also as Batman. There's some good stuff in there, but that middle section with from R.I.P. to Resurrection of Bruce Wayne loses me a bit. If I'm being oh, honest, in, see that's interesting because I really love some of his uh, sorry some of their uh, Batman and Robin stuff where it's um, uh, Dick and Damien running around as Batman and Robin. It's it's one of those runs that I think I do need to revisit at some point because I read it in a very disjointed fashion, sort of picking up random issues here and there and a couple of trades. And I, I still don't think I've read all of it, if I'm being honest. So it is sort of in the back of my mind I'd like to revisit. I'm, I'd, I'd like DC to put out like a Morrison Batman collection like they've been doing with JLA in recent years mm. to make it easier on me uh, and maybe just skip over the Final Crisis stuff. <laughs> I do think that, well, yeah, it's funny because, like, I've got um, I've got the entire Morrison Batman run, and I do enjoy it. It's, it's that thing where, if I ever go back to read it, I can take comfort in the fact knowing that when I start on book one, I've got maybe like seven books to get through. You know, something mm. like that. You know, going all the way through to like the end of Batman Incorporated. So it's like it's just like wrapping yourself in like a warm blanket, knowing that like there's a ton of Morrison content here to enjoy. Yeah, it is messy in places. Like um, I always felt that like there was almost like a book missing between the Black Glove and R.I.P. Yeah, like I, like I felt the the big reveal and the conspiracy thing needed a bit more time to like simmer. But um, I love the the first um, um, Batman and Robin run with Professor Pig. And I have to say that I think that is elevated by Frank Quitely's incredible artwork. Yeah, yeah. I also, I really like the resurrection of Rachel Ghoul, which ah. ran between the Bat books. And so it was mostly, I think, Morrison and Paul Dini was the other writer. And oh, I think that Paul works Dini? really oh, well. That. Yeah, yeah. That's the, one I, that's the only one I haven't got, actually. Now you say that's, it. That's the only trade I have got from that era. <laughs> oh, interesting. Right, we should have to do a, a hostage exchange at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, oh, um, oh no, it's so annoying, PJ. I had a thought and it just fell right out of my brain. I hate it when thoughts do that. Oh, it's happening more and more. <laughs> I'm getting old. Um, no, it's gone. Okay, it can't be that interesting anyway. <laughs> what were we talking about? What should we be talking about? Well, we should be talking about the JLA. I suppose we should be doing that, shouldn't we? <laughs> um, well, PJ, I—I uh, I mean, I for one, I'm looking forward to diving back into the continuation of um, the World War Three storyline. Oh, John! Oh no! Oh, poor John! What do you mean? Oh no! What are you saying? We're, we're not doing that. 
instead, for some reason, we've got to wrap up the Day of Judgment crossover that we haven't looked at any of the rest of at all. Yeah. yeah. So, so inexplicably, we now have a standalone story, um, which, you know, could be fun. I, I'm going to reserve judgment till the end of the issue for the sake of dramatic irony. But it, it's certainly an odd place to put it. Yeah, it, it it is. And I think it's just a one of those scheduling things that, you know, I, I think there's there's a reason that Morrison and Porter aren't on this issue. And yeah, there's it's 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 so bizarre, this issue in and of itself. I like it. Having reread it again last night in preparation for this and as a coda to Day of Judgment, which I did read and enjoy at the time, it's pretty good. Its place in this trade feels particularly egregious, though. I guess my question would be, do you, do you, is its placement, in your eyes, do you, do you think it's intentional, by which I mean it had to happen so we could wrap up that event? Or was it in some way because Morrison and Porter... Like, I don't know, needed more time or something like that for, for World War Three. I think it's a combination of the two. I think that the editorial edict was every book has to tie into Day of Judgment this month. And it did. That's like the one month I ever have bought every single book DC put out, which I shouldn't have done in retrospect, but I did it. <laughs> um, and... So obviously JLA, one of the flagship books, of course that was going to tie in, but that had sort of coming out the end of the month. It was after the final issue of Day of Judgment. So it was sort of an epilogue more than anything else. But I also feel like probably Morrison and Porter didn't want to do that. Sure. So they were maybe we're too busy doing World War Three, And we'll we'll get into it, but there is a reason... Obviously, we go to standard current JLA fill-in artist Mark Pajarillo, which is no bad thing. Mm. Uh, but there is a reason why J.M. DiMatteis is the writer. Oh, uh, and what what is that reason? So, the Day of Judgment series itself uh, was actually written by Jeff Johns. Okay, interesting. So, which does explain why Hal Jordan is such a key part of it. <laughs> oh God, you're right. I guess I guess quite a relatively young Jeff Johns at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was penciled by an artist I haven't actually heard of since, called Matthew Dow Smith. Okay. And basically the main storyline of Day of Judgment was um, Jim Corrigan has been removed from the Spectre, or as they refer to it in Day of Judgment, the Spectre Force, because everything's got to be a force. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. And so the Spectre now is sort of uh, unbridled, and yeah, at the same so just time, pure pure vengeance. No, yeah. At the same time, there is like an ongoing battle between Neron and Etrigan. Okay, and it's actually uh, Etrigan who arranges for the Spectre to be bonded to Asmodel. Oh, oh, our old friend from yes, that. Oh, Asmodel. interesting. Right. Okay. And so basically Asmodel starts running rampant as the Spectre. And uh, yeah, they basically manage to, the heroes manage to banish Asmodel from the Spectre, but they need another host who's going to control the Spectre force to make sure that the same thing doesn't happen again. And Hal Jordan becomes that host. Uh, and so basically the end of Day of Judgment leaves 
the new status quo of Hal Jordan is the new Spectre. So, uh, if I'm correct, because this is uh, this this is a gap in my kind of um, DC knowledge, Hal Jordan was currently deceased following yes. uh, his his fall from grace, but then his kind of redemption. In what well, kind of redemption in which he sacrificed himself to reignite the sun? Is that during correct? final night? Yeah, so he becomes parallax during zero hour. So he killed the Green Lantern Corps before that, then becomes parallax during zero hour and a major villain, and then sacrifices his life as a hero again in final night. But because of all that, I think I've mentioned before, it means he's not in heaven or hell, he's in limbo. So he is able to control the Spectre, become the new Spectre. And basically, at the end of it, they were launching a new Spectre series starring Hal Jordan. Oh. And J.M. DeMatteis was the writer of that series. Now, it didn't last very long. And uh, I, di- I have double-checked. I pulled off my shelf. There's two a two-part JLA Spectre crossover called Soul War, also written by DeMatteis. Right, okay. Um, which were two prestige format books. So they're like 80 pages each with harder covers where the Spectre, Hal Jordan and the JLA, and it's very much the post Morrison team. So the big seven plus plastic man. Okay. Uh, team up to fight an enemy called the trans. So that hasn't aged particularly well. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but that was Dimitea's writing as well. And I think that was done just after they canceled the Spectre series. Okay. So I, I it's funny, isn't it? Because I, it must be kind of challenging to have the Spectre as the protagonist of a story. I, I think the Spectre works quite well in this story as this kind of, oh, I don't know, like kind of almost lawful neutral force in a way. Um, or I, I don't know, maybe lawful good. I'm not entirely sure. But like it's where he, the Spectre is like a terrifying force of nature sort of yeah. thing. Um, yeah, I, I, although I guess kind of like... Saddling that to Hal Jordan is maybe enough of a hook to hang a series on? Well, apparently not, because it, it just did not last long at all. But, yeah, I think I think the Spectre is more interesting as a supporting character or guest star than in his own right. I think um, Kingdom Come, Mark Wade and Alex Ross do some great things with the Spectre oh, there. yes, brilliant. I really, really enjoyed the Spectre's appearances in Green Arrow when the resurrection of Oliver Queen, the Quiver storyline when Kevin Smith was writing the book, the fir- when they first brought Oliver Queen back and the Spectre, Hal Jordan, has a supporting role in that and is used very effectively there. But I I, I never read any of the solo Spectre stuff. I don't know if it was any good, but I, I it just didn't really appeal to me. But also because it's Hal Jordan, who I like well enough, but he's not Kyle Rayner, so I don't care as much. Well, when, um, um, when the Spectre popped up, uh, in the Crisis Times Five storyline in this series, um, doesn't um, Sentinel make a comment about liking the Spectre better when Jim Corrigan was part of the mix? Yes. So I guess my question is: at that point in history, before the events of, sorry, PJ, I've already Day of Judgment. Day of Judgment. Who was it? Not Jim Corrigan in the Spectre. Like, who was the? Human there wasn't. Host? There was no human host. It was just the the. Complete, 100% pure Spectre oh, during Crisis okay. Times 5 and then up until Asmodel gets bonded with him in Day of Judgment. 
Oh, interesting. You see, I didn't know that Asmodel really had a life beyond, Jay, you know, his appearance in um, uh, the, the Heaven on Earth story or, or whatever it was called. Although I suppose he may have popped up in that Zauriel yeah. kind of miniseries. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about it, to be honest. It's been so long since I read Day of Judgment. And I, I did look it up, look the storyline up to refresh my memory before we recorded today. So I was like, oh, Asmodel. Okay, yeah, I remember that now. And now now I've read that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do remember them them using Asmodel for that, actually. And I liked Day of Judgment as a crossover. It wasn't. I didn't need to buy all of the tie-ins. That was just stupid. But I did enjoy the the, the story itself and some of the some of the stuff that tied into it was pretty good. Um that's one I wouldn't mind rereading at some point in the future, to be honest, Day of Judgment. Do you, do you think that's the kind of, is as a book, do you think, as a collected edition, do you think that's the kind of thing that would still be available out in the wider world? I don't know. I've been thinking about this recently, thinking about I want to try and get, cause I sold my comic collection years ago now, and part of me does regret it, but some of the stuff I did own, I'd like to try and get trades of so that I've still got, got them physically and day of judgment is one of the ones i've been thinking about looking up recently mm. yeah i mean particularly after you know my recent difficulty getting hold of a couple of um a couple of jla trades mm. uh yeah i guess it might be the time to go on a bit of um a bit of like a secondhand hunt sort of thing to kind of try and find these fill these gaps yeah definitely Oh, PJ, I know we are going to get into this issue, but I think I just briefly remembered what I was going to say earlier. Um, (laughs) Daft question. Have you seen the Black Adam trailer? Yes, I have. Okay, so the Justice Society? Yeah, apparently. 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 With... Is, it, is Pierce Brosnan playing Dr. Fate? Cause yes. I kind of love that casting. Uh, <laughs> I hope he puts the damn helmet on and doesn't spend his entire time. Um, I think he will. Yeah, I suppose. But, but okay, I, I, I should we just... Is, is there any continuity between these movies now, between the various DC movies? Like, like is this the same world that Superman and Batman and the others are running around in? Do you think? I don't know. I think the only thing I can say for sure is that they will tie it into Shazam. They've said that, that they're going to have Shazam and Black Adam meet at some point. Whether oh. that's in the second Shazam film or another film after that, I don't know. But yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, that's all I wanted to bring up. Just that Doctor Fate is going to be a thing. And uh, not only... I, I thought maybe like, oh, God, like Piers Brosnan's in it and he's, wearing a, and he's, and he's carrying a golden helmet. I guess, cool, Doctor Fate. Uh, everyone likes Doctor Strange, so let's bring in the other one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, but then I then it's like Hawkman and an Atom Smasher, and I was like, yeah. oh my god, like that's that's pure comics. They're going they're going for some deep cuts. It's still crazy to me that they're doing all these characters before they try and do Green Lantern again. <laughs> I, and and again, it, it's kind of wild that we're now getting kind of comic accurate depictions of the JSA. Yeah. Before we've actually had a comic accurate depiction of the Justice League. Yeah. Which is yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, but sorry, PJ. Um, I swear that'll be my last random diversion. Um, do we dive in? We do do dive in. We do do dive in. Right, okay. Uh, okay, so we... Um, okay, so you might be thinking, gosh... Um, I hope um, the JLA will be safe from uh, Lex Luthor and Prometheus and, and the others. But, but as we turn the page in the collected trade paperback, 
we are in the city. Um, a city, I don't know. Um, and somebody is talking. Yeah, I can only assume that at the end of the last issue, after Prometheus said it's isn't time for the new Injustice gang to strike, and Luther says, yes, I'd say it's time, after the credits roll, there was a bit of, but I do have some appointments, actually, maybe we should push <laughs> this off a week or two. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, like, it, it just means it's time to implement the, the four-week <laughs> plan. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, every journey begins with a single step, PJ. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, we are in, in a city street, and we have some narration in a green caption box, a bit of talk about the old Green Lantern Oath, which I do like, and mm. it's one of the few things I kind of wish Kyle had. Could he say it if he wanted to? I mean, he could, but he didn't have to. No, and I guess he didn't. I think he uses it, doesn't he, in JLA Avengers to help focus himself when he's trying to recharge, but he doesn't need to do it. No. No, and I guess, did he... Maybe he just never got the full training, or he, he never got the complete manual. I think there's also, you know, for some reason the Green Lanterns had to say it when they were recharging, but Kyle's battery was was different and he didn't. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, at least we got Kyle. Yeah, That's, that's the small blessing I, I, I could think of there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we have this narration, as PJ said, and as we, the camera kind of moves closer in, closer in, closer in on the streets, um, the people, the regular people kind of going about their business, they become more indistinct to the point where they are now just kind of like black silhouettes kind of walking, walking about their business. And, um, there's only one, there's only one person who is fully illustrated and colored and it is a a a, a man wearing um just a, a kind of polo shirt and he's got brown hair and he's just kind of leaning against a shop window looking dejected raspler's toys and games that's the uh, the shop he's leaning against but he's it's hal jordan and he's he's sort of sinking to the floor starts looking dejected and then just starts screaming as he says i'm not hal jordan anymore and then the image sort of changes and we get full Spectre Hal Jordan sort of rising over the city. He's he's gigantic and in the sky, his shoulders and head and still screaming as he says, I'm the Spectre. And it's fairly hellish as far as images go. <laughs> but here's where we also get the title, The Guilty, and then... The credits, J.M. Mateus, guest writer, Mark Padrillo, guest penciler, Walden Wong, guest inker, Ken Lopez, letterer, Pat, Gallar Pat Garrahy, colorist, Heroic Age Separations, Tony Bedard, associate editor, and Dan Raspler, editor. And, you know, again, I, I mentioned in the last issue that this was the, the first uh, JLA book I ever picked up. Um, <laughs> this must have been so weird for you. It, 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 it really was. Um, however... Uh, you know, it was a massive kind of tonal shift. Uh, the art was a complete change. At the same time, I I was kind of along for the ride at this point. I was like, okay, this is weird, but I like this artist, this Mark Pajarillo, who I'd never encountered before. Uh, and this seems really kind of dark and a little unsettling. And... I'm like, okay, I guess this is what DC comics are. Like, it felt different. I was, I was kind of on board, as weird as it is. Yeah, and I love the next page as well. There's some, some amazing work from Padrillo on the next page because 
Zauriel just flies up to this giant spectre saying, your howl of grief across the ethers drew me here through the sheer force of your thought. Is there a problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, Zauriel wasn't especially uh, chatty in the previous issue. Uh, and this is a character I'm completely new to already. But uh, I think this is when I started to fall in love with Zauriel because he's just like, he looks amazing. Um, Padrillo just draws him really, really well. And um, yeah, you just get a lot of, you learn a lot about these characters in a, in quite a short space of time. Like I suddenly learned that, okay, Zariel is a fallen angel. That was new to me at the time. And also apparently the Spectre can just completely change his shape, size and appearance like uh, between panels at will. Yes. Yeah, and the Day of Judgment story had a lot of Zauriel in it because it dealt with heaven and hell, so he was a natural fit. for. Uh, he appeared in a lot of books <laughs> that month, which was great because you don't really hear from him anymore. No, I, I would harbour a horrible suspicion that there just isn't a Zauriel anymore in the yeah. current continuity. I think he's been erased. Bless him. Wouldn't surprise me. But, but yeah, the Spectre gets angry because he's like... Zariel says he, he chose to be a fallen angel, and the Spectre says, well, why would you turn your back on, on paradise? You've exposed yourself to flesh and decay. And there's this stunning panel where the Spectre is just a giant black cloak with Hal's head on top of it, looming over the tiny figure of Zariel, who says, well, I, I, I just, I like it. I like it here. And uh, you're in the way. And then Zariel just flies through the spectre as he lets loose a sonic cry and shouts, you're invading my personal space, and succeeds in momentarily disrupting the spectre's form, which is pretty badass. I love how, um, again, being a complete blank slate, not knowing anything about Day of Judgment, and just kind of coming at this as a, as a, as a, as a teenager, however old I was, um, full credit to, to the writing, because I'm, I'm not massively familiar with the work of um jm dimatteis is that correct D yeah dimatteis mostly i think known best known for it, it did a lot of work on spider-man in the 90s mm. so i probably have come to think of it i probably have read some of his work without really I'm being pretty oh. sure he did a lot of the clone saga <laughs> oh yeah well again uh, probably an era in my life where i was i was i was reading random bits of spider-man but wasn't really paying attention to who actually made comics um but full credits of a writing I instantly picked up on and appreciated the way that the Spectre or Hal, Jord Hal Jordan's kind of personality seems to kind of like flip in, in a yeah. moment. Like it's like, um, you know, one minute you can almost see a bit of Hal like kind of bubbling to the surface. And then the next minute, I guess kind of like the Spectre's like higher programming takes over. Um, but it's still, it's still Hal. But now he's, he's just so kind of like, like hateful and and an absolute like i think it is quite nicely done actually yeah i think it's really effective because it's you get that it's hal jordan trying to be the man he once was but at the same time the most recent hal we really knew was the parallax version of hal which feels like it's still in there to a degree this was before anyone had decided parallax was like a parasite entity that took control of <laughs> hal jordan that was you know retcon <laughs> yeah but then you also on top of that have the specter and his driving need for vengeance yeah and um i also like how 
because towards the end of his page, the Spectre is, you know, saying like, okay, you know, you did your sonic scream, you momentarily got the, be- the better of me, but, you know, uh, it's over now, so I guess I'm going to like just kind of peel away your your existence and we're going to, you know, find all the dirt and sin inside you. So right off the bat, I know that the Spectre is immensely powerful, nearly all powerful, and yet it's also vindictive. Like, yes. it's... I guess if, if if all the Spectre wanted was to erase evil, then the Spectre could presumably just click his fingers and Zariel wouldn't exist. But no, he has to punish, which is quite a nasty element of it. Like, he has to punish and you have to feel bad about what you did, basically. Yeah, and there's, there's definite prejudice in there as well, because he's angry with Zariel because Zariel has chosen to be on Earth rather than live in the paradise of heaven. And that's not something the Spectre can get his brain around and therefore feels like he has to punish him for it. Yeah, the Spectre's a bit of a blunt instrument, really. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but Well, we saw at the end of Crisis Times 5, the last time the Spectre, before Hal Jordan was part of the equation, and Zariel had a confrontation when the Spectre was trying to smash Triumph to pieces. Well, true, yeah, and and it's uh, it's a shame in a way that that isn't referenced in any way. Like, mm. um, I guess as you say, there was a lot of Zariel in Day of Judgment, so I'd have to assume the characters had interacted there. But from this interaction, you wouldn't perhaps know it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I guess, I kind of assumed that you know, in the hierarchy of heaven, maybe the Spectre and Zariel would occasionally meet each other at like I don't know, group away days or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, work picnics, but but no, Spectre just appears to be just just an asshole to everyone, basically. Yeah, yeah. But then a voice says that'll be enough, Hal. And we turn the page, and some of the Justice League have arrived. But it does. So we got Superman, Batman standing on a Green Lantern platform that Kyle has created, Plastic Man, and John. Uh yeah. Um, John is here. Yeah. Yeah, this, look, we've mentioned before that at some point in this trade, John comes back, he has a big moment, but that the impact of that moment is hugely lessened by just having John be here in this story. Yeah, uh, again, at the time when I was a new reader, I wasn't technically aware that John was meant to be um, on a leave of absence, I suppose. I didn't know what we were losing. Um, yeah. Of course, as we get into the story, Jean is utterly indispensable to the plot of this issue. Like, you could yeah. not do him without it. So, you could not do it without him. So, I have to assume that they just were like, oh, what the hell? Have Jean. Who cares? It's, I feel like, obviously, Morrison was the writer who had Jean take the leave of absence. And it almost seems like Morrison was the only writer who knew Jean was on a leave of absence. <laughs> You know, no, the other the other writers who've done the fill-ins just didn't read those issues. You can sort of argue it away with the Wade issues because Jean only appears in flashbacks in those, so that could have been to before flashbacks to before one million. It's not one hundred percent clear where they're set, and Jean isn't in the second issue at all, the one with the White Martians. But yeah, certainly Miller used Jean in his issue, and now Dimitrius is using him as well. Well, I guess given what we kind of gleaned from the Wizard magazine interviews and the way in which Morrison would work, I have to assume that 
maybe communication wasn't the strongest suit uh, because, yeah, like Morrison's over in Glasgow doing their own thing, probably, you know, conjuring um, five-dimensional gogs and stuff in their spare time. Yeah. And the editorial team over in New York is like doing everything by FedEx and trying to like fax and and, uh, phone call people to keep stuff on track. So yeah, maybe it just didn't get passed on that Jean was technically not around. Yeah, probably not, but oh well. (laughs) Oh well, he looks cool here. A young Jean, that's me, is like, who is this fellow? I don't know who this is. I've never seen him before. He's intriguing. Uh, And also that Mark Padrillo really draws a cape very well. Yeah, you have both two great capes on this page with both Superman and Jean. And what I like, it's just a small detail, but they're both, you know, the wind's sending them in the same direction. They're both fluttering the same way. Batman's cape isn't because Batman's cape is built differently. You know, it's it's basically a living shadow that does what Batman wants to to do to make him the, the most menacing he can be. But yeah, Superman and John floating in the sky with their capes both blowing in the same direction. It's just a nice little detail that I appreciate. And how cool does Batman look with... I mean, like, Padrillo draws a very good Batman. For some reason, I think in, in this issue, I think the Batman-ness is kind of, like, um, enhanced by a few hundred percent because yeah. he just has the biggest horns on his head, you could imagine. He looks like <laughs> He looks like a living shadow. He's amazing. Those are some Sam Keith ears there on Batman. That's. <laughs> I also love how, again, it's where Batman just looks incredible here. And you don't need to make him look cool by covering him in panels or mm. like webbing or, or kind of like a very flaps and pockets. It's like complexity does not necessarily equal something looking better. Like, um, this is a very classic Batman superhero costume, and yet he looks absolutely badass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Kyle and Plastic Man also look great. Everybody looks great. I mean, <laughs> frankly, it's just a very well-turned-out team. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, Spectre is, um, well, I guess maybe a little bit of Hal kind of bubbling to the surface, but uh, you know, basically saying, like, you know, oh, actually, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um but we do get, because Superman gives us a little summary of Day of Judgment, basically, saying, like, we just stopped one berserk spectre from tearing down heaven, hell, and everything in between. I hope the Justice League won't have to go for two. Yeah, and then John says, we were under the impression we didn't have to worry about you anymore. And Batman just does a little, speak for yourself. And I love the whole thing that for, there were a few years where Batman just did not trust Hal Jordan, even after, he was just like, he did this stuff as Parallax. I don't care that he sacrificed himself to save us all in Final Night. Who's to say he's not going to do this again? And Batman just could not bring himself to trust Hal Jordan for years. Well, yeah, and I, I know I know Batman can be particularly, uh, you know, not massively forgiving of failure, but I, I'm kind of with him on this one. I mean, like, he did murder a lot of people. Yeah, Hal, Hal was a murderer. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really fly with Batman. Um, but yeah, so I guess like confronted by his old allies, um, the Spectre kind of falters for a moment and, um, you know, he says, you know, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what they expect of me as the Spectre. And, um, Superman asks him to maybe explain it to him then only for the Spectre to 
suddenly kind of just lose all his power and turn back into Hal Jordan and start plummeting to his, you know, presumably second death on the streets far, far below. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, a quite amusing moment where Jean, Kyle and Plastic Man all shout, I'll get him. Jean and Kyle flying down, Plastic Man turning himself into a big butterfly net. And then Superman's just stood there holding him, saying, consider him got. Yeah, and so um, Superman is holding the limp body of, well, presumably Hal Jordan, only for Plastic Man to say, well, if Hal Jordan is the new Spectre, then who is this? And we look closer in, and it's not Hal. It's like just some random guy. Yeah, so we, we cut to the watchtower where Hal wakes up in a chair, but he says he's confused because Superman's just asking him who he is. And he's, he says, well, I'm I'm Hal Jordan. Yeah, well, I was. You you know who I am. But then he his perspective shifts and he sees himself as everyone else is seeing him. And everyone else is seeing him as a different person. Like Batman is seeing a different person to who Superman is seeing. They're all seeing different people. Yeah, and I guess from their perspective, because this random dude is not giving them a straight answer, um, Batman, I guess, has had enough and just goes, secure him. And we get a very terrifying shot of Batman as the League kind of, I guess, kind of take a ready stance to just pounce on him. Uh, but um, I guess luckily for Hal, or whoever it is, um, Zariel kind of leaps between them and cries out for them to wait. And another amazing panel from Pajarillo here, this Zauriel leaping between Hal and the League with his wings spread and his arms out as he shouts for them to wait. It's, he, yeah, he draws the hell out of Zauriel. He really does. He really, I, you know, again, this is my first ever Mark Pajarillo issue. Ironically enough, this will be the last issue of his on the series. And yeah, he's really good. Um, but yeah, but as Zauriel kind of leans into towards Hal and they have like a little conversation, um, I apologise to anyone listening if you do end up hearing an ice cream van in the background. because I can hear of... it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, if you can hear it, PJ, I guess that means um, <sighs> the listener will probably hear it. Great. Uh, now I want I... an ice cream. Uh, I would love an ice cream. But he's outside and we, we have a job to do. <laughs> We're um... professionals, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but as Ariel talks to Hal, um, reality kind of flutters and we see him as, he, as we should be seeing him, which is as Hal Jordan. So... Zariel explains that it's part of the Spectre's mission on Earth. It just kind of means that Hal Jordan is dead. So even though he's technically back and kind of alive now, um, he's a dead man. And so he shouldn't really be moving around. And as such, we're not supposed to recognize him. It's like the kind of divine power that he would just appear as somebody completely random. I do like the moment when Zauriel is between them and he's shouting for the League to stop. Hal's narration says he's still got the authority of heaven itself in his voice. I don't like him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, again, just Hal, Hal or the Spectre, I do not know at this point, just being a bit of a dick. Oh, I think that's Hal. Oh, I think, think that's, that's Hal. Hal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Zauriel has temporarily parted the veil so that, uh, you know, they can see him as Hal Jordan. But once he leaves, uh, their memory will leave with him. So as long as this moment is happening, they will know him as Hal. Beyond that, they'll have no idea who the Spectre is. Yeah, and I don't know if this is something 
that went on in the Spectre's solo series. But certainly by the time of a JLA Spectre Soul War a couple of years later, the the League knew who he was. It was I don't know if this lasted at all, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it makes for a, a great plot point in this story, but yeah, I guess if everybody forgot he was Hal Jordan, you wouldn't be able to do a redemption arc with him down the line, I suppose. Yeah, I, I have to believe this is something Demetrius covered in the Spectre series, um, because otherwise, why bother? We do have um, a moment where Hal appears to be in control, and he's back. He's, he's morphed to physically look like the Spectre now. Um, but he has a moment where he's just like, huh, well, you know, I guess I died, and now I'm back. And all I can see is the evil in people, and uh, I don't even get to have my identity. So uh, I guess this sucks, doesn't it? And Superman's like, uh, I've never known you to indulge in self-pity. To which um, Hal snaps and goes, well, look, maybe when you've died and come back to life, you can give, you can start giving out advice. But uh, uh, okay, never mind. I guess you got me there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we all know that Superman's done that, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, at this point, like, which superhero hasn't died and come yeah, back to true. life a few times? <laughs> it's just part of a course. But Superman says that Hal is a good man and that he's going to find the right path. And this is when Batman goes, nope, he's not a good man. He turned on the Guardians and he killed and he kept on killing. And all he's trying to do now is win brownie points with God. Personally, I think redemption's a fairly selfish motivation. Fair play. And what is cool, and what I think even young, ignorant John picked up on reading this, is that we're setting the stage now for essentially what this issue is going to be, which is like, um, it's like the the JLA are basically becoming the, the devil and the angel on the Spectre's shoulders, essentially. It's, uh, this entire issue is panning out to be like a kind of morality play? I suppose, yeah. where they're all just presenting their different views on right and wrong, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the Spectre shows them images of some demons in his hands and says, you know, this is humanity's shame and sorrow. This is what humanity is. And Kyle says, look, you've been given a second chance, Hal. How many people get that? And I like that there is almost a bond between Hal and Kyle, mm. even though... They didn't meet until Hal was Parallax. And it is, I believe in Final Night, it is Kyle who convinces him to come back and help reignite the sun. But other than that, their only other meeting was <laughs> um, a time travel story from Green Lantern 100. Okay. Where Kyle travels back in time and meets Hal Jordan. And it was just a cool thing they did to celebrate the 100th issue of this series of Green Lantern. But at the end of the issue, when Kyle is returned to the present... Hal is accidentally sent to the present as well, and you get a few issues of both of them in the present. Okay. But then the the resolution to it is a past version of Parallax shows up as well, basically saying, I've spotted that you're in the wrong place in time and I need to send you back. And then Hal goes, well, yeah, you can do that, but I'm not going to become you now because I know this future and I don't like you. And so Parallax ends up wiping both his and Hal's memories of these uh, events, so Hal still wouldn't remember Kyle. But I like to think that when he becomes the Spectre, he gets those memories back, so he remembers his adventures with Kyle, and there's, that's that's what sort of creates that nice little bond between them. Yeah, it's, come think of it, I guess 
and again, not to get ahead of ourselves, it's maybe a shame that there's not more direct interaction between Hal and Kyle in this issue. Mm. Um, and also, I guess, you know, with the shifting creative teams, um, you know, it's like you probably can't trace a direct thread from, for example, Kyle talking to Daniel in the Starro story mm. about like his his anxieties and the idea that, you know, he will never surpass Hal to to this conversation here. You know, and I and that's for one sadness here because I, I do quite like this issue. But like it would be a shame you know, I'm kind of I'd love to see what Morrison would have done with a Hal Meeks sorry, with a, a Kyle Meeks the Spectre kind of interaction. Yeah. Knowing what Morrison knows about Kyle. Yeah. No, same. I think at this point I had potentially, now I'm thinking about it, I think I had read a Spectre story, and I think it may have been Kingdom Come. I think I did. I think I maybe, I'm getting very confused. I definitely bought a copy of Kingdom Come at some point. I just don't know when that moment fell. Kingdom Come was my first encounter with the Spectre for sure, because mm. I bought it. Basically, I, when I first properly started getting into American comics, a friend of mine who'd been reading them for years, I said to him, "Look, what what would you recommend I I I read? What would what would if you had to pick a few comics to recommend me?" And he gave me three recommendations: Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, Kingdom Come, and I went out and bought all three of them. And Kingdom Come was very much my first encounter with not just the Spectre but a lot of DC characters. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's weird that I feel that people don't talk about Kingdom Come as much as they should nowadays. Because yeah. it was quite, like, it was a big thing. It was quite influential. Yeah, I agree. I think, they, you know, Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns are still big touchstones for people. But I feel like Kingdom Come does slip a bit under the radar these days. And that is a shame because it is, it is brilliant. Well, I know that... Um... Again, my limited introduction to Perspector at this point in history, but I know that um, obviously in Kingdom Come, they make a point about the. I think Alex Ross, in some of his notes, says that the uh, the Spectre is effectively naked in Kingdom Mm. Come, apart from the robe. Uh, But kind of like just artfully covered in various shots. Yeah. But I do kind of like the Hal Jordan Spectre costume, which is. Yes, me too. Yeah, it's like this quite subtle combination of Green Lantern and Spectre costume. Um, yeah, it's very subtle, but I like it. I like his mask as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really, really cool, actually. And this is why it's still annoying to me that he came back as Green Lantern. Should have just kept him as the Spectre. It was perfectly reasonable having all of that. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, as... Um, Hal kind of takes center stage uh, and, you know, like, yeah, as PJ said, Kyle, you know, says, well, look, you, you gained a second chance. Not, not everyone gets this. And Plastic Man's going like, Wait, what are you moaning about? You know, you used to be dead and now you're like all powerful. You know, why are you kvetching about it? And um, how all the Spectre or both is going, I, I guess, becomes a bit theatrical because it's not enough to kind of say that you're wrong he has to conjure up kind of like visual eggs, basically. So he starts like, he opens his cape and kind of smoke starts filling the air. And he says, well, look, all these demons I summoned, you know, they didn't come from the souls of serial killers or lunatics, you know, 
they came from you. He just says like, you know, look, no matter how, you know, kind of pure or noble you appear, no matter how good your actions, like you inherently have darkness in your souls. So I technically have a right to punish you. Yeah. And of course, the first one to speak up and disagree, saying that's a philosophy I can't subscribe to is Superman. But Hal says, well, then let's start with you. And takes the League back to the time when Superman killed General Zod. Which was in in canon. You know, stupid thing to say, but like, um, you know, we've, we've talked in the past about like, you know, kind of various depictions of Superman killing. Um, I think it can, I think this kind of shows that it can be done without kind of taking away from the character, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's a weird thing where I haven't read the actual story where Superman kills Zod. I have read so many stories that deal with the aftermath. There's the exile storyline where Superman exiles himself from Earth because he doesn't feel like he's worthy of being Superman anymore and just goes to live in space for a bit. There was an issue of, in the late 90s, DC did a 10-issue World's Finest series which basically had an annual meeting of Batman and Superman, and so each issue was that year's meeting over the 10 years. Yeah. And I think it was issue six or seven took place just after the Joker had killed Jason Todd, and Superman had stopped Batman killing the Joker, and this is where Superman says, yeah, I know how you feel because I killed these, uh, these three Kryptonians, and Batman goes, oh, and this was after you lectured me on stopping killing the Joker, and Superman goes, no, I did it just before I lectured you on not killing the Joker. And then oh, that's the beginning of the issue. And, it, and yeah, it's, it's a brilliant issue. I recommend checking it out. Um, but yeah, so many stories that dealt with the aftermath of it, but I've never read the story itself. It feels like a pretty glaring omission. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, and I guess it's very hard to tell what's considered canon now or what's kind of worth picking up, because obviously that, I guess technically didn't happen anymore now. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I guess we can assume that rather than say breaking his neck, uh he um he he killed him with kryptonite. Yeah, and this is the other thing is it gives Snyder and his fans ammo, doesn't it? Say no Superman would do this and it's like yeah, it's this the situation he was in in the comics from what I gather is a completely different situation to Zack Snyder having him snap Zod's neck. One thing I absolutely love about this scene, which I, it sticks with me even now, is the way the dialogue and the, or sometimes the lack of dialogue plays out across the panels here. Mm. Like, it's such a dramatic beat where the Spectre has obviously conjured up this memory from Superman's mind. Uh, it's filling the whole room. We're seeing death and destruction at the hands of the Kryptonians. We see Superman kind of holding up like a lead container containing kryptonite. And the Spectre's going, you know, like, you know, go on, tell tell them, Superman, like, where are we? Or are you incapable of speech when faced with your own appalling actions, even here within the one soul that shines brightest among you? And then we get a completely silent panel of Superman close up on his face. We get a completely silent panel of the Spectre and then in the next spe- and then in the next panel, the Spectre just very quietly repeats, even here. And it's it's and it's and again, you know, in, inside baseball thing, it's a small font. So, you know, he says it quietly. And it's just so powerful because it's kind of like, oh my god, like 
he's almost like sad in a way. And I yeah. think that's for Howell coming through. And that's such a fair, full credit to, to the writing because that, that is just wonderfully done. It's a powerful moment for sure. And then, of course, Superman replies. He says, when I... And then there's a small pause. And then he says, killed General Zod. An entire world was at stake, millions of lives. It disgusts me. It saddens me. But I've made my peace with it. And then Hal seems to be taking us like deep into the recesses of Superman's mind where you see this thin, gaunt version of Superman lying on the floor begging someone to kill him because he doesn't deserve to live and showing this to the League. It's, yeah, it's really good. And I guess with the Spectre, and this is the real horrible uncertainty of it, even Superman, you know, no one's entirely sure what's real or not. I guess the, the Spectre is is actually kind of brutally honest in a terrible way, but also interprets things in the most kind of black and white way possible. Yes. So, yeah, he's just completely messing with their heads here. And, um, you know, it's like, it's like the Spectre could seemingly destroy them anytime he wanted. He's just essentially trying to work out the best, the best time and place to do it or the best way to punish them in the process. Like it's really, yeah, it's just, it's really horrible. Yeah. And, and he says, thou shalt not kill doesn't make allowances for Kryptonian super criminals. And Superman just, he, he says, yeah, he regrets it. He thinks about it every day, but he'd do it again if he had to in the circumstances. There was no other choice. He did the right thing. And you get, and then and then how or the Spectre kind of, I need to stop using those interchangeably, uh, kind of grabs and stretches his own face. Kind of like a kind of like Looney Tunes cartoon yeah. in a way. And just shouts like, you know, I always tried to do the right thing and look where it got me. Yeah, and then Batman says what they're all thinking, which is don't compare yourself to Superman. He made an impossible decision and saved the world. You went psycho and nearly destroyed the universe. Which I think shows two things. One is obviously Batman does not like or trust Hal Jordan and blames completely blames him for everything he did and, and thinks he needs to be held to account for his actions. But also Batman, the one who has the strictest code of all against killing understands why Superman did what he did and forgives it. Mm. And again, it's a subtle difference, but it's sorry, it's a subtle thing, but it, it, it does show that um, it shows a, like a kind of respect and understanding for these characters and their relationship with one another. Because you could have just had Batman just being gruff and, you know, snarling in the corner, but he's actually defending his friend here, mm. which is lovely. And as you say, like with, 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 with his own kind of moral code to have accepted what Superman did and, and to still consider him an ally, that yeah. actually kind of speaks volumes. Like it, it is, it is very, very, very good storytelling. Mm. Yeah. And he calls Hal a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> and then Hal basically starts showing all the torturous moments from Batman's life, the death of his parents, the death of Jason Todd, Barbara Gordon's getting shot by the Joker, you know, all these brutal, brutal moments and just saying that Batman, he said redemption is a selfish pursuit, but he's seeking redemption himself for the death of his parents. Yeah, it's like, you know, kind of, it's striking right to the heart of Batman saying like, you know, you essentially, you have survivor's guilt, you know, because all, everyone around you is brutalized and murdered because you're too arrogant because you think you're above the law and you just keep on going and all that follows in your wake is kind of suffering and pain, basically. And you get this moment where 
I think Batman does kind of falter for a moment because he 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 kind of talks to how I don't know, like a, a bit more like a human being, like just for a moment. Like he goes, I don't carry guilt around like a cross. Life is hard. Terrible things happen. We do our best and we keep doing it and we don't cross the line. You used to know that, Hal, once. Yeah. And then Hal shows an image of a blood-soaked Batman standing atop the dead bodies of a load of bat villains like the Joker, the Penguin, Bane, Poison Ivy, Man Bat, Rachel Ghoul, all in there, and says, "Yeah, but one part, somebody wants to cross that line, doesn't it? You've got that in you. You want to kill your enemies, and you know, is it my responsibility to stop you before you do?" And I like that Batman doesn't deny this. He's like, he basically just says, "Get out of my head," but he's basically saying. Yeah, that's in me. I keep control of it. And again, just showing why Batman is perhaps the most dangerous human alive, he is able to force the Spectre out of his brain, which is not a small thing. Yeah. And yeah, and again, just like this horrible kind of like toying with and and this grim kind of merry-go-round where, you know... Kyle says, you know, look, you know, we're not criminals. How can you accuse us? And 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 then suddenly, you know, that the Spectre has grown gigantic and is kind of standing over them and basically says, well, you know, how how dare you? You know, it's like you, no one elected you. No one asked you to kind of fix the world. You just kind of put on fancy costumes one day and decided to, you know, go and, you know, reign above your fellow man. I mean, look, look, you you actually like live on the moon. Like, like pagan gods in your own self-scarred Olympus, and um, Kyle says, "You know, you you can't possibly believe that." And um, we get this moment where you see the Spectre's face kind of faltering. He says, "Well, you know, the Spectre does, but how Jordan doesn't. You know, I know how much good you've done." And and suddenly he's he turns back into being Hal. Yeah, but he still says, "You know, I know how much good you've all done, but I know how much good I did and how wrong it went." And now I look at you and all I can see is the potential to destroy. And then he says to Kyle, you, you, you've you, got that fear, haven't you? You've got that constant fear of the power corrupting you, of becoming what I became. And Kyle, there's this brilliant little panel just of Kyle's face as he looks concerned, just saying, well, I'll, I won't let it happen. But it's, you don't 100% believe him, you, th- you know... I don't think Kyle would ever be corrupted by the power of the ring. I don't believe that for a second, but I think Kyle thinks he could be. Mm. Well, yeah, and 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 as we've you know kind of learned before in this series, it's like when the entire world keeps telling Kyle that Hal Jordan was the best, that no one will ever be better than him, and they've considered that if the best of the best kind of fell to darkness, you know, kind of Kyle's probably left wondering, well, you know. I'll never let it happen, but at the same time, like I'm not Hal Jordan. Maybe, maybe it could. You know, you can see that kind of anxiety, which just kind of plagues him as a character. Yeah, yeah. But Hal turns to Zariel, says, and then says, "Look, you've you've got to understand what they're asking me to do. One mistake on my part, and and lives will be lost." And Zariel just says, "Listen for the presence in your heart. You will make the right decision." And then Hal Spectres again and just flips out. <laughs> oh, I like that. Spectering as a verb. 
<laughs> yeah. To Spectre. He, he goes full Spectre. And there is. He... I just want to draw attention to one little detail. Oh, Pandarello yeah. draws a transition where you've got Hal and then the Spectre, but in between is like a midpoint where he's just Green Lantern again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and again, you know, um, Padrillo draws a good Hal Jordan Green Lantern as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and he just plunges a hand inside Zauriel's chest and takes out his heart, which is like a. Well, not quite a human heart, like a kind of crystalline thing. Um, and Anxario just looks awful. Like, one can imagine that kind of hurts. And um, he says, look, you know, you, you claim to be an angel, and yet, you know, I'm looking at your heart now, and it's, it's full of um, corruption. You know, it's like, um, you look how far you've fallen. And, you know, the rest of the league are like, oh, my God, like, what what's he doing? And... Um, you you get a brief window back into kind of Hal's brain where it's like, you know, he can hear himself talking and he he, he feels this part of him, which is the spectre and how just kind of cruel and judgmental he's become. And, you know, he, he doesn't know how he's capable of this, but he knows that the spectre is, you know, it, it is a force that has absolutely no kind of empathy. It's just, it's just, yeah, it just feeds on the worst things of that humanity can, can create. Yep. Yep. So I think what Hal really needs is someone to lighten the mood. So thank <laughs> God Plastic Man's here. <laughs> yeah. Plastic Man just says, look, you've got to lighten up a little. Turns into a chair and says, sit down a minute. And knocks Hal into the chair. But then and says, look, I was like you at one point. I, and when the fates offered me a second chance, I took it. And did I moan about it? Nope. I've decided to have fun. And then Hal tears Plastic Man open to sort of reveal Eel O'Brien within and starts berating him. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a hell of a it's a hell of a visual. Like, you know, it's like he's physically like ripping him apart, like peeling him open. And I guess of course none of this is technically real in a weird way. Like um there is not actually an Eel O'Brien inside every every plastic man. Um but yeah it turns out Plastic Man you know, he only acts like an idiot. Um, he's actually a lot harder to phase than you might think. Yeah, he just morphs from eel back into a clown and just says, oh, the darkness in my soul? Yeah, I know. I've got that. I've done bad things. But you know what? I will take my mask of frivolity over Dancing with the Devil any day. And the Spectre's like, you know, and you know, and when you meet your, meet your maker... And, uh, you know, um, Plastic Man just kind of turns into a copy of a Spectre and sticks out his tongue and says, I'll take my chances that he's just a tetch more forgiving than you are. And then we just get this kind of silent panel of the Spectre just kind of snarling. Mm. And then Plastic Man is just reduced to a pile of goo on the floor. Um, yeah, and uh, so as the Spectre says, you know, like, look, he dared compare his situation to mine, so I gave him just the smallest glimpse of what I feel. And to which Kyle says, like, oh God, he's just as out of control as when he was Parallax. Yeah, and he just says, we're about to say that they've got to take him down when Jean just leaps into the middle of it all and shouts, both verbally and telepathically, enough. And... Hal's narration at this point just says, I feel ashamed of what the Spectre, what I have done here today. Kyle's right. I am out of control again. 
And just because Jean kind of pauses to check on Plastic Man, who's slowly kind of pulling himself together, Jean then grabs the spectre by the head and forces himself into his mind, like into all of them. He kind of telepathically, telepathically links them. And even with the power of the spectre, Jean, being the world's greatest telepath, is able to get inside him. And he says, there's something I need to show you, whether you want to see it or not. Yeah. And they all find themselves in like this weird, burning, chaotic hellscape with bizarre architecture and fire. And it's 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 really a really cool image. <laughs> yeah, like, again, having now read the entire... Have, well, obviously, I say now, but having in later years, like, read the whole series through back, back to back, time and time again... Um, it just makes this issue all the more kind of like stand out because this is some dark shit, you know, for lack of a better word. Like this is like kind of 1980s, like vertigo kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Hal's narration says, you know, we're, we're in a place where illogic depravity is overwhelming and I can sort of hear laughter in the distance and he says where are we kyle asks if they're in hell and zariel just says after a fashion <laughs> and hal says the angel knows why don't i and it's a small thing but again i've always loved um comics that give you a hint of there being like a bigger world out there mm. it's a fact that kyle says are we back in hell <laughs> it's yeah. like again i'm new to these characters i've certainly only recently discovered Kyle as a Green Lantern, and I'm like, oh my god, the JLA go to hell like regularly enough that they know <laughs> the place. <laughs> I mean, they went there in Day of Judgment, yeah. Again, I just love this was a real culture shock to me coming from like, you know, the X Men cartoon, a few yeah. Spider Man issues here yeah. and there, the UK kind of kid friendly retellings of various Spider Man stories, which were published for a while. Yep. And then I'm like, oh my god! In the DC universe, the the, the superheroes are allowed to stay up late and drink. You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. this is what adult comics are, PJ. Yeah. So Jean basically says, look, there's there's more than one hell, and there are as many hells as there are souls in creation. And the League and the Spectre just start moving off, and you get a panel of them, and they're upside down, and then in the next one, they're sort of on the wall as they walk into what Hal calls this realm of pure or impure mind. And then the laughter he could hear before grows louder, starts to become unbearable, and they get attacked, but they're not really sure what it is that's attacking them, just these shapes with these big grins and red eyes. And I'd just like to say it's a very small thing. We've talked about it before, but Mark Padrillo draws perhaps the best tiny people. Hmm in the business i would say if you need someone to draw like a minuscule figure in shot and still make them look absolutely amazing mark padrillo is who you call because these these little panels of the league they look incredible and and they are tiny yeah the the tiny batmans i think are my favorites oh the my one god. in the third panel where he's ready for the fight oh my god it's superb and and you save so much lead in your pencil drawing <laughs> tiny heroes like, it's incredible uh, but yeah, and and but as you're right, PJ, the the JLA are attacked by, well, I I mean, for, they demons for lack of a better word, like horrifying monsters, um, and they seem utterly 
ineffectual. Um, you know, Superman is broken and bloodied. Batman is gleefully claimed as one of their own. <laughs> Plastic Man is snapped. Kyle's ring can only muscle like a few sparks. And even John, who brought them here, appears to be the most sensi- sensitive to it because like liquid shadows are like kind of pouring into his eyes and he's just kind of screaming. Uh, it's uh, it's not good. It's not good. I want to come back to this Sean moment in a bit, but but after we've had the reveal of where they are, because I think it ties into something we've seen before mm. in the series and that I want to talk about. So remember to come back to this. Mm-hmm. I'll put a bookmark in it. <laughs> oh, but yeah, um, Zariel, however, is 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 the most effective perhaps of the team because his kind of voice of heaven can drive back some of the creatures, but. I have to say, if it weren't for the Spectre, the League would be absolutely doomed here. But with the Spectre, it is nothing because he just kind of opens his cloak and just absorbs these demons into the living shadows of his cloak. And it's a hell of a panel. Hmm. Yeah, and as he does so, he says that Abin Sir told him he was fearless, but this place does scare him. But this is probably our clearest look at Hal's... Green Lantern Spectre costume <laughs> in the book so far, and it is very much like the shape of his Green Lantern costume, but the main body is black rather than green, and it's just a circle of green fire on his chest, but he's still got the green boots and gloves, so a yeah. darker shade of green. It's really nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, the man without fear does can be scared occasionally. Um, I imagine dying will give you a new perspective on things. But the Spectre, meanwhile, just is utterly fearless and and emotionless and just uh, digests the creatures. (laughs) Yeah, and then all of a sudden they find themselves transported to one of the the cities they saw from the top of the hill on the previous page that Batman comments looks like someone took Gotham or Metropolis, chopped it into a thousand pieces and then reassembled it in the most bizarre fashion imaginable. Jean's trying to collect himself and Plastic Man says he thinks he's going to puke. Which is where Kyle says, again, brilliant light little moment in this, where they're in the darkest of places, where Kyle says, is that where they get the plastic vomit they sell in the backs of comic books? And Superman just says, Lantern, please don't encourage him. <laughs> it's a small thing, but this this panel of like uh, the League here, while they're kind of recovering, um, I don't know how many different ways I can say that I really like Mark Padrillo's artwork. I but know. They... The the league here, it's an unconventional league, because obviously you've got Zariel and Plastic Man and the Spectre temporarily among their number, but they look very much like classical superheroes in this panel. Yeah. Uh, in a way that Marvel heroes often don't. And I don't yeah. mean that one is better than the other, I just mean they're bringing different flavours to the table. But the whole kind of capes and tykes thing always struck me as being a very quintessentially like DC thing. Um. Not that Marvel heroes can't wear tights or that they don't have capes, but you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're making it work as a kind of actual art form here. Yes. Like, yeah, the Spectre looks very good in this panel, for example. Yeah, and again, Batman just looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Always looks good. <laughs> yeah, but um, the Spectre says, look, Martian, you need to reveal where we are and why. And Batman says, I hate agreeing with him, but he's right. Come on, you're putting the league at risk. And so Jean says, okay, well, I'll answer your questions then. And just punches a massive hole in the floor. They tumble down into this tiny little cave space. 
where Superman even even Superman says, "Come on, Jean, it's time now," and Jean just says, "Yes, it is," and they look ahead of them, and there's just a man and a woman sat peacefully in these very comfy looking armchairs either side of a table that has a lamp and a radio on it and they're just sitting there together listening to the radio and Jean says do you feel it at the very centre of this madness in evil's heart a sanctuary a place of peace and light where love is valued above all else as the lady says darling we've got company yeah and the man kind of scangs up and you know bumps his head on the cave roof and says you know welcome strangers make yourself at home it's not much, I admit, but the wife and I are delighted to have you. And, and then Batman knows. Yeah, Batman has twigged exactly where they are as he just says, Jean, do you realise what you've done, what you've exposed us to? Of all the minds on the planet, why bring us here? And the spectre confronts this man. It's kind of like towering over him, kind of like terrifying, actually. and says, you know, show me your true self, open your soul to me, because I swear to you, if this is a trick... And, and the man just kind of scumbles and goes, like, you know, no, it's not a trick. You know, we're, we're just simple people living a simple life. And suddenly the spectre finally gets it. The penny drops and he sees that these two figures are kind of glowing with kind of gold light. And um, he says, like, you know, the sacred light that shines within you, no mortal could counterfeit this as they all kind of fade away into kind of brilliant white light. And then you get... An absolutely stunning page where the tiny figures are flying out of the blackness and then the blackness becomes a green eye within a white eyelid. And then you see that it's just a white face with a green eyebrow and then it's the Joker. You just get a shot of the Joker in a chair staring out over the ruins of Gotham City because we're still in no man's land. Jean took him into the Joker's mind. Yeah, and um, as the Joker kind of laughs, um, we cut back to the Watchtower. And Batman's horrified. He says, you know, you took us into the mind of the Joker. What were you thinking? And Superman's like, you know, well, he knew exactly what he was doing, and I support his decision. And... Yeah, Zhang's kind of point, the thing he was desperately trying to show the Spectre, is that even in the most corrupted of human souls, there's a spark, however small, seeking hope, seeking love, and yes, even redemption. Yeah, which gives the spectre pause. He says, there is, there's much I need to consider. And Jean basically says, well, then consider this. It's possible you're projecting your own guilt for your own transgressions, both real and imagined, onto us. You're not seeing us. You're seeing yourself reflected back at you through the prism of the Spectre's wrath. And Batman's basically going, oh, come on, Jean. What are you <laughs> saying? We're all pure and perfect at our core. And Jean says, no, no, for all my insights, not wise enough or audacious enough, but I'm saying that a balanced vision is going to make all the difference for the Spectre. Yeah, and I would have to say, uh, as a line which is which just lives rent-free in my head, saying, like, I am neither wise enough nor audacious enough, that is something I think about a lot. <laughs> like, genuinely, that line often pops into my head. Um, and Jean kind of puts a hand on Hal's shoulder and kind of smiles, and Hal smiles back at him as he says, I learned long ago not to underestimate the human race and their capacity 
to rise above their limitations. And I surely never underestimated you. I think that's it's really important that that's a moment between Jean and Hal, because obviously they are the only two founding members of the JLA present. Oh, of course. And yes, so they, of course, they know yeah. each other very well. Oh, you're right. God, yes, that does put a whole perspective on it, doesn't it? Yeah. Sorry, again, I keep coming back to it, but that's the weird little quirk in DC continuity at this point, that technically Superman and Batman weren't founding members <laughs> of the League. Yeah. Yeah, but God, yeah, year after year one, yeah, these two these two do know each other. I guess it kind of makes sense why Jean would have taken such drastic action to, I don't know, kind of save his friend in a way? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's entirely what Jean was trying to do. And, you know, the, the spectre starts growing again and says, I don't, you know, you may not remember Hal Jordan once I'm gone, but it's good to know that after all these years of life and death and life again, you're the best friends I ever had, as he flies away. And Kyle says, sure, hope we helped him, whoever he was. And, yeah, and our final... Our final image is, a, is is an incredible one of of the spectre holding the earth in his hands, and as all the shadows of his body just kind of merge seamlessly into the void of space, and um, and yeah, and you know he says, uh, you know he says, I'm dead yet I live. I have no identity yet I know who I am, and once again I've been given power enough to change the world. This time, Lord, let me be worthy. And then we get a large blacked out kind of caption in the trade, which I have to assume says something to the effect of uh, the, the Spectre's exciting adventures continue in the pages of The Spectre, now available, or something like that. I don't know. One thing I do know about that series was part of the the point of it was that The Spectre was no longer the spirit of vengeance. He was the spirit of redemption. Uh, okay. With with Hal Jordan guiding him, because obviously when once once Hal Jordan's not part of the equation anymore after Green Lantern Rebirth, you get then the various miniseries that built up to Infinite Crisis, and one of them was Day of Vengeance, which was about an uncontrolled Spectre going on a rampage again. <laughs> yes, yeah, didn't um, there was um, oh gosh, at some point before the last big reboot, there was another human host for the Spectre, wasn't there? I think so. I can't remember who it was. Yes, gosh, wasn't he like an ex-Gotham detective or something like that? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, what was his name? Oh, I can't remember, wasn't, but yeah. Wasn't, wasn't Crisping something, was it? It might have been. Am I dreaming? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. That does that does ring a bell. Well, PJ, with the end of that issue, uh, what what do you think? I think it's brilliant. I just think it's in completely the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good story. It's really good. It, it it is it is wild. Like why it's here, and it, it feels like it could have been in a, in a completely different series, given the you know continuity and presence of characters or not. But I really enjoyed it when I first read it. I assumed that this kind of weird tonal shift was maybe part of a course, um, and but I still enjoy it even to this day. Yeah, me too. I think, weirdly, reading the the book like this, the way we are, where I'm reading it an issue at a time, and then I won't read the next issue for a little while after that, for the next recording, it 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 feels more jarring 
this way. Mm. Weirdly, if you read it as a whole trade, it's a little interlude, and then you're straight back into World War Three. But reading it this way, it does. If it's even more noticeable that it's, it, it's just this weird thing that doesn't connect to the story that's already started. I guess it's weird, isn't it? Because they, you know, if you had to squeeze, if editorial said that you had to squeeze a story in, a standalone story somewhere into into the continuity at this late stage in the Morrison run. They at least managed to pick the best possible place they could, you know. Better now than, say, between parts two and three of the the story we're about to get into. I guess the big question would be whether the previous issue, The Ant and the Avalanche, was always considered as a kind of prologue to World War III, or whether if it hadn't been for this kind of insert issue, uh, it would have been just part one of that story. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe it was written to be that, but obviously then, no, we're doing a crossover. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thinking back to, again, the, the the Spectre is a very old character. Yeah, yeah, golden age he goes back to. Yeah, we're talking kind of 30s, 40s sort of time. Yeah, he was part of the original JSA. And I know like in those early days, they weren't too concerned about... Um, I don't know, uh, consistency or continuity, so to speak. But my, my my limited understanding of the original Spectre comics is that he could effectively do almost anything as a character. I think, I'm, I don't know if at the time he was meant to be the spirit of vengeance or not, but wasn't the whole gimmick with the Spectre is that he would use his kind of like godly powers to kind of put the guilty through like... Um, and criminals through like ironic punishments, that sort of thing. Yeah, I I want to say that like the the stuff with the presence and being the the spirit of vengeance created by heaven. I, I want to say that didn't come in until like the Vertigo series in the nineties, the early nineties. Um, John Ostrander, I think. Was the oh God, was there it? A, was there a Spectre Vertigo series? I didn't know. I think it was Vertigo. They published it under the Vertigo imprint for some reason. Uh, but I think basically, I think they just called it the Spectre Volume 3 these days. I'm sure it was... Um, yeah, I'm sure it was a uh, Vertigo series. I'm going to double check that now, make sure I'm that not does, wrong. Yeah, that definitely strikes me as a post... Now, I could be wrong here, but the whole making the Spectre the spirit of vengeance, that definitely strikes me as a post-crisis kind of development. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, okay. It's there where he, where he's sort of the wrath of God and everything. Uh, I'm trying to find the actual. I can't find a link to the series. I'm sure it was a Vertigo series. Well, the only reason I bring it up is that this is probably the most active Spectre story I've ever read. Because in Kingdom Come, the Spectre is very much a kind of observer to the events that are unfolding and here to have this kind of like deranged and slightly unhinged version of the spectre i had nothing to compare it to but i very much liked how fluid the spectre is like he's not just a i don't know regal looking figure blasting energy from his eyes or something like that like the fact that he's different in every panel but sometimes he's how sometimes he's a spectre sometimes he's halfway between maybe he's like gigantic or 
you know, shape-shifting. Uh, it's, got a, it's got a kind of like terrifying, chaotic energy to it, which I really like. And I was just, again, thinking about the origins of the character, and I suspect that might... I don't know if this was uh, Demate's um, intention, but I suspect that it's kind of going back to the roots of the character a bit. Yeah, I think that would make sense. Um, yeah, as I think it was the most, other than Kingdom Come, like you, the most I'd read with the Spectre in it as well, though obviously I'd read the Day of Judgment series before I read the issue the first time because it was one of the few issues of JLA I read outside of the trade. I had the actual floppy, mm. the original book. Um, the, probably did... the first issue of JLA I ever bought the month it came out. But <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, God. Yeah. What did um, Asmodel look like? As I can't remember. I honestly okay. can't remember. I think I think his design was pretty, as Asmodel was consistent with what he'd been in JLA. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Google Asmodel Spectre. See what see what he comes up as. Oh, okay. Yeah, it seems to just look a lot like the Spectre, but with his little skull eyes. Does he have um his weird little nose ring? Asmodel. No, not in the images I'm finding. I need to. Yeah, I need to do an investigation into whether I can buy Day of Judgment. Yeah, that could be another one to to track down. Yeah, for sure. I really actually liked the writing in this issue. Like it's quite it's quite wordy, but it had a it's got a kind of vaguely kind of like Shakespearean quality to it, which I kind of enjoy. Yeah, I I seem to recall that that's something with uh his his scripts are often quite wordy, but I think this is definitely one of his best for me one of the best things i've i've read by him that i can think of it's also nice that it's 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 kind of stupid like it, a stupid thing to say but it's an issue that doesn't necessarily have a villain so to speak yeah like the league aren't just fighting an enemy like it, it really is just an the whole issue is just an ethical debate but kind of played out with some amazing visuals to kind of make the points Yes, yeah, it's sort of an ethical debate, but with telepathy and superhero powers, isn't it? <laughs> oh god, and some incredible visuals. Like, yeah, I've got to say, like, you know, in terms of like an issue giving you value for money, like a, a lot, a lot is packed into these twenty-two pages. Yeah, oh for sure, and the whole sequence in the Joker's mind when Jean takes them in there, I think is is that just allows Pajarillo to go nuts, I think, and do whatever he basically wanted to well yeah and also when you consider that that entire scene is and i just counted six pages and one of those pages is them leaving the joker's mind Mm. like it's it's a very it's very efficient storytelling shall we say i feel like there is uh this is the point i wanted to make when we saw the the shadows taking jean and how it was affecting him i feel like there is a connection to Rock of Ages in a weird way. Because mm. you get that sequence in Rock of Ages where Jean makes himself think like the Joker, changes the shape of his brain so he can see the world the way the Joker sees it. And I wonder if that experience, just this is how it sort of works in my own head, that experience has made Jean think, I can handle the Joker's mind, so this is what I'll do. And then when they're in there, he finds that actually it's beyond what he thought it could be, and but also makes him more of a target for the Joker's own mental defences there because the Joker recognises like for like in a weird way. It's just a connection that I put together in my own head that I quite I think is quite fun. 
I think that is the best kind of headcanon. Uh, and I, I completely agree with you and, and love it. I, I think that's a wonderful way of, of considering that scene. Um, sadly, I would probably put money on uh, Demetrius not having read that previous issue of JLA. <laughs> uh, but I think your, your interpretation of it is, 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 is perfect. Yeah, I'm sure that that's not the intention of it. But, it, but yeah, it's, it's just what I like to think. You know, it's funny because, you know, we, we were talking about like how a lot of the good things that come out of this series, you know, eventually got kind of retconned or forgotten about. Like, you know, mm. we Aztec isn't really a going concern. Zauriel's kind of definitely not a going concern anymore. But I guess around this time, based on what you're saying, like Zauriel was getting a fair number of, if not his own series, he had a lot of events to kind of play a major part in. He guest starred in Supergirl a few times around this point. Uh, this was when Supergirl was the Matrix version. Oh, okay. And uh, it turned out later on in her own series she was an angel as well, somehow. So she had a, a bond with Zauriel that meant he appeared a few in a few issues with Supergirl. Um, I think they fought the Spectre together in her Day of Judgment tie-in. So, yeah, he, he was getting about. I think a lot of the JLA characters were, to be honest, because it was sort of the big DC book at the time. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad. Maybe I will have to track down Day of Judgment then, just to get a bit more kind of Zauriel action out of it. Yeah, just don't try and buy every single tie-in issue. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no. I mean, God, how many issues were we talking? Loads. Um, the ones that I really remember... Because there's so many that I can't. Is the Supergirl issue? Uh, Anarchy had his own comic at the time. Really? Yep. Wow. And his Day of Judgment tie-in was him teaming up with the Haunted Tank. <laughs> I shouldn't have taken a drink when you said that. <laughs> really? Yeah, that was great. God, that's obscure. <laughs> um, there was a. I think Batman had a. There was a specific. Day of Judgment, No Man's Land one shot. Okay. Where it's all No Man's Landy and then there are zombies. And the Azrael issue at the time had the No Man's Land banner across the top and Day of Judgment along the side. Right. Um, so it's not even like, um, you know, where, say, uh, a decade later, uh, at least Marvel had the decency to just have one major event every summer. Um, so they, they were overlapping is what you're saying. Yeah, well, day, I think Day of Judgment lasted a month. I think okay. it was one month. The main series itself was four or five issues published weekly, and then every other book that month tied in. A bit like DC 1 million. It was that that sort of event. Mm. So it's like a kind of micro-event, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of comics, but <laughs> but yeah. Hey, and I'm sure, I'm sure DC Editorial is very grateful to you for helping them Alks at the tail end of the 90s. Yeah, well, you know, I then, I was uh, late teens, early 20s, I was an idiot, so I did the exact same thing with the Joker Last Laugh crossover that was like a year or two later, and I was like, oh, God, why oh, am I doing this? Is that when the Joker thought he was dying? Yes. But he yeah, wasn't. Yeah, the Joker's told he's, he's basically got terminal cancer. And he goes on a basically kind of suicidal spree, essentially. He, he Jokerizes all of the DC villains, so they all get like infected with Joker gas and become Joker versions of themselves. So you get in JLA they fight a Jokerized Dr. Polaris and Um The Weird One was the issue of Superman that month, 
where it was literally like the month after Our Worlds at War had finished as well. Okay. Which I didn't buy every issue of. <laughs> um, I only bought the tie-ins for the ones I was collecting there. But it was the issue after was like a 10 years since the death of Superman thing. So it was Superman with the black background on the S fighting a Jokerized Doomsday, okay. which is as stupid as it sounds. <sighs> I mean, I appreciate like it's very hard to keep the content kind of like fresh and stimulating. And occasionally you do need to kind of throw an event into the mix, but like, Oh, let's jokerize every villain is like, uh, it just seems a bit weak. The, what's, what's really stupid. I think about it is the actual Joker last laugh series. The, the books themselves were pretty good. Mm. I, I thought it was a, a really good Joker story, but there was no need for them to have all these tie-ins that just didn't work for me so well. I mean, God, was it in the two early two thousands, perhaps, where there there was that um, was it King Joker kind of storyline where he gained um, the Joker gained Mixplicalix powers Emperor Joker which Emperor ran, Joker that, that only ran through the Superman books and Superboy and Supergirl, I think. But yeah, that that was a pretty good one actually. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, and again, there's a there is a JLA connection, isn't there? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but when Joker gained all those reality altering powers and changed the world, didn't he create somebody, uh, a female supervillain called uh, Scorch? Yes. She looked like a stereotypical devil and she could create fire. And in the pages of JLA, in the Joe Kelly run, she would go on to become Zhang's girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Small one. <laughs> it all comes round. Emperor Joker is also where the version of the Superman costume that Zack Snyder then used in his Justice League film comes from, the black one with the cape and the silver S. Oh, okay. I, that, I, yeah, that's a good point. That's that's Superman's costume in the, the Joker version of reality. I'd always assumed that was just based... Again, I haven't read The Death and Rebirth of Superman. It is a gap in my, in my, in my library. I need to read it. Um... I kind of assume that because when he comes back from the dead, isn't he wearing like a kind yeah. of black Wongsy? He is, yeah, but it doesn't have a cape. So in Emperor Joker, they they basically took that costume and added a cape, and then that's what Zack Snyder went. Yeah, that's cool. I'll do that for no reason. It's a shame we didn't also get like a a Joker with Mister Mixplicalix powers because that would have been fun. <laughs> um, PJ, like. This, as I said, it was it was a surprisingly in depth issue. There's a lot to kind of go over. But is there anything we haven't said? Do you think is there anything that still needs to be covered? Uh no, I don't think so. Only that Jeff Johns has brought Hal Jordan back twice, and now I do get a little angry with Day of Judgment. Now I've remembered it was Jeff Johns thinking, "Ah, oh, was this just your sneaky way of setting him up to be the Spectre so you could then have him become Green Lantern again?" Ooh. Yeah. I guess I can I can definitely sympathise with somebody who kind of like maybe loved a character and then different creative teams did things with that character you didn't agree with and but it just I don't know the story of Hal Jordan kind of the fall from grace 
seems so much more interesting to me than just another kind of square-jawed hero. And it's a shame that, ironically enough, Jeff Johns and other creators have essentially moved heaven and earth through various kind of retellings and reboots to essentially retcon all that yeah. to, to just get us right back to where we were before. Yeah, and, you know, I collected Green Lantern after... Because I was collecting it before Rebirth cause with, with Kyle, and I just kept collecting it after Rebirth when it started with issue one again and was Hal again. And I just didn't find it as interesting. I thought the stories themselves were pretty well told, but Hal as a character just is not as interesting as Kyle. It's just the way it is. No, and, you know, again, I... I I I collected uh, some of Morrison's run on Green Lantern, you know, and you think, well, okay, well, we've seen Morrison's take on Superman, and that's considered one of the greatest Superman stories ever. We've seen Morrison's take on Batman, and it's it's generally liked, if you know, not quite on the same level as All Star Superman. So I was like, okay, well, what's what's Morrison going to do with this other great character? And um, I don't know. I guess I I did read, I tried to read a fair amount of it, and I realized I just didn't find how Jordan that interesting at all. I was asked on Twitter yesterday uh, by a friend of the show, Andy Conduit Turner, um, lovely guy. If I had to pick only three Green Lanterns to keep and get rid of all the rest, which ones would I pick? And oh. I went with Kyle, obviously best Green Lantern, mm. John Stewart because I yes. think he's just got a really interesting backstory, and Kilowog because you want a big pink alien who calls everyone <laughs> a poozer. Oh, isn't that cheating, though? No. He meant, he meant, he, I'm sure he meant human Green Lanterns. He should have specified then. He liked my answer. Again, so many people who grew up watching the cartoon as well, you know, yeah. John Stewart is is their Green Lantern as well. I, I really like John Stewart. I think he's infinitely more interesting than, than Hal Jordan. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I can certainly see, like, why having just a straight up asshole green lantern in in um guy guy gardner is maybe like useful but i just find that character so annoying it's very very hard to like him i liked him in the late 90s and early 2000s when he was warrior and they'd sort of softened the edges a bit mm. he was still a bit of a jerk but it wasn't as grating there were there were more facets to his personality and then again Green Lantern Rebirth comes along and he's just back to being an arrogant, smarmy SOB. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, as you know, first choice would always be Kyle. Yes. Yeah. Just, you know, and, 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 and a couple of hangers on, maybe. <laughs> That's what all the other Green Lanterns are, as far as I'm concerned. It's Kyle Rayner, then the hangers-ons. Um, with special consideration for... Oh, I'm going to get his name wrong. I always do. Alan Scott? Yes. Sentinel? Yes. Yeah. Although Andy did also point out to me uh, that I'd forgotten about Mogo, the Green Lantern who was a planet. Oh, yes, God. No, Mogo. I take it back. Mogo is the greatest uh, Green Lantern ever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess that is the end of a uh, a peculiar but good standalone issue. Maybe a bit out of place, but yes. it's in the wrong place, but I don't think there was anything anyone could do about that. No. Well, DC Editorial could have, but they chose not to. I'm glad it exists. It, it's a good story. It it created a lot of moments that kind of just, like, I continue to think about a lot, and the artwork's amazing. But um, I, for one, am hungry for some World War Three action. Do you know what they should have done? I've just realised 
they should have given Mark Wade one extra villains issue, then done mm. Day of Judgment, then started World War Three. Because then you wouldn't. Because then we we'd be in kind of like break mode, and we wouldn't have it. Wouldn't have seemed so out of place. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. Good thinking. Where were you in October nineteen ninety nine, PJ? Um, I was bunking off school. And, and you weren't using that time to call the DC officers to kind of convince them they were there was a better way? No, I think I wrote them a letter saying, you should do it. And I sent the same letter to Marvel saying, you should do an animated DC versus Marvel. They never wrote back. Can you be- well, you know why? Because they banked the idea as the greatest idea ever. <laughs> they've been filing it until the world is ready for it. It'll never be ready. I think it might happen. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of do feel that at some point in our lifetime that might happen. It would be amazing if it did. I, yeah, I think it'll be like the the, sh- the the question you need to ask them is: Would both of you companies like to make all the money? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not being cute when I say that. I don't mean like a lot of money. I mean like all the money yeah. you don't currently have. Would you like to do that? And I think yeah. they'd probably say yes. Yeah, I agree. Make sure they get the right people writing and directing it though, or whatever. Because oh. What's um? Oh God, who did uh? Who did X Men Three? Was that Brett? Uh, Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. Maybe he's available. Well, no. One, <laughs> he's just not that great, and two, he's a terrible human being as well. So. Oh God, is he? Oh, okay, well, his his movies aren't good either. So, you know. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, look. If if we really have exhausted this avenue of pleasure, PJ, he said. Well, war three. Well, war three. Yeah, World War. Yes, it's coming. The moment we've all been waiting for. The uh, the final swan song. So I guess, PJ, you said pregnant pause. Nothing to add. Nope. Cool. <laughs> I think I well, should say uh, I should say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And uh, another massive thank you to Elliot Red for composing and performing our, our wonderful theme tune, Justice. And if you enjoy hearing PJ and I talk, you can find us both on social media, where we are generally quite nice people, we think, maybe. That's uh, true, that is. And our details are in the episode description. They are. So PJ, it's that time. There's few there's 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 less of these left than there are behind us. Would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? I declare World War Three! <laughs> <laughs>